Good morning. So it was uh, March 30th, 1981, that um, the story took place. Uh, the, Ronald Reagan had just become president. Um, I think he was inaugurated January 20th of 1981. So I think this would have been like maybe around the 70th day of his presidency. He had been speaking at, I don't know, some sort of event at the Washington DC Hilton. And he was leaving the hotel and he was going to his limousine and a person pulled out a pistol and started firing on him. Um, some of you may remember uh, this story because it was, you know, you remember it. Some of us were, were this happened after we were born or, or we were born, but we were too young to remember it. Um, but there was someone that started firing on the president of the United States. And what happened, and I was, I was alive at the time, but not old enough to remember this, but I looked it up and it's interesting what happened at the moment that it happened. The guy fired off, I think, six shots in the course of about 1.7 seconds. So a lot of things happened in a very short period of time. Um, one of the secret service agents uh, grabbed the president and started shoving him into the limousine as soon as they, he heard um, the, the gunshots go going off. He starts shoving him in the limousine because the limousine was um, like bulletproof glass, armored limousine. So he knew like if we could just get him into the limo, he'll be safe. So um, the, first, the first Secret Service agent starts shoving the president into the limo. The second Secret Service agent, whose name is Tim McCarthy, um, he stands between the shooter and the president and may, takes a wide stance. Um, I guess he was trained to do that because, like I said, this all happened in like 1.7 seconds. There probably wasn't time to think through all this. He just did what he was trained to do, which is to make himself as big as possible so that as many bullets that were intended for the president would go into him. Tim McCarthy was not wearing a bulletproof vest at the time. Um, they were invented at the time. He just wasn't wearing one. Um, I'm guessing that that policy has changed in the meantime. I'm assuming that probably Secret Service agents all wear bulletproof vests now, but he was not wearing one. He just had his regular body and he hurled himself in between the shooter and the president and he got hit. Um, the fifth bullet hit him. Um, I think it was in the lower chest, upper abdomen area. Um, he survived. And in fact, according to the internet, he's still alive to this day. Um, but he took a bullet for the president. And um, there was more that happened that day that I'm going to ignore because it doesn't fit my illustration. Um, so it really would have been great if that was the, if that was the only bullet, but um, that was bullet number five, which is what I'm going to focus on today. Bullet number six actually hit the limo, ricocheted off, and did hit Ronald Reagan in the underarm. Um, he also recovered. Um, but the part that I wanted to focus on was bullet number five and what Tim McCarthy did when he put himself in between the shooter and the president. Every bullet that went into Tim McCarthy was a bullet that couldn't harm the president. Does that make sense? Okay, that idea is going to matter later on in this sermon. So today we are going to continue our series technically about Christmas. And the idea behind this series is we're sort of doing the opposite of what we did last year. Um, last year, we covered like sort of more typical Christmas passages, the angel appearing to Joseph, the angel appearing to Mary, um, the, 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 the magi, the wise men coming to visit. Like we covered more traditional Christmas passages last year. And so this year, the idea is we're going to learn passages that don't sound Christmassy, but are. Okay, that's the idea for this year. We're, we're, and we started it last week. We're looking at passages that don't sound as Christmassy as the typical Christmas passages, but they are definitely about Christmas. And the question that we want to ask and answer today is, why did Jesus have to become a human? Why did Jesus have to become a human being? If you grew up in church and kind of grew up in Sunday school and Christianity, you may never have thought, you may never have never thought to ask this. I certainly didn't until I was an adult. Like it never dawned on me that there would be any other way. So I didn't even think like, why did Jesus have to come as a human being? Like if anybody asked, maybe some of you would say that like, 
I don't know, like, because that's the way the story goes. That's why. Yeah, but, but why does it go that way? Certainly there are other conceptions of like God and how God would reveal himself to his people other than just the ones that we know of in Christianity, right? I mean, you don't have to take a comparative religions class to know that there are other conceptions of God and how they would relate um, to humans. Like you could just watch movies and you could know that, right? Uh, Moana, right? Moana has a deity in it. It's a, she's a goddess. I don't remember her name, <clears throat> but the goddess in the, in the movie is an island, right? And she's certainly personified, but she's not a human, right? She's an island and she's personified like a, actually she becomes like this volcano monster. Um, that's a spoiler, but I mean, the movie's five years old. You should have watched it by now. So she does become this volcano monster and then calm down and becomes this, you know, Polynesian island. But still, like the way that the, she's not one of the islanders, right? The deity in, the, in Moana is, a, is an island. Um, in the movie Avatar, the, the deity, and I assume this will be true of the new movie that's coming out this month, it's certainly true of the previous, you know, the, the old Avatar, um, the, the deity in that movie, again, is a goddess, I think Iwa or something is the name, and the, the deity is like the energy force that's in all living things, and they communicate it through the little electrical things that they have in their hair, and the, and the goddess in that movie, um, you have you not seen it? That's what happens. <laughs> like, that's not a joke. Wait till the funny parts come. You're going to love it. Um, so there, um, and the, um, the, the goddess sort of manifests herself in relationship to the people of Pandora um, by a tree, like in, in the form of a big tree called the Tree of Souls. Um, so the question is, why did Jesus show up as a human rather than as an island or as a tree, right? And, and you might even say like, that's ridiculous. Who would even ask that? Why would God show up as a tree? That's dumb. That's a movie. You know, and that would never be like, that's so stupid. Why? Of course, of course, that's not the way it works. God would never do that. Okay. Um, in the Old Testament, God did reveal himself to people in different ways. And there was a time where he revealed himself to Moses. Anybody remember how he revealed himself? Yeah, it was a burning bush. Well, Mario, bushes are different than trees. They are. They're smaller but they're quite similar, right? He, he, he commuted. God revealed himself to Moses through a burning bush. And when God um, revealed himself and, and, and sort of communicated and even led the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, how did he do it? He didn't do it as a fellow human being marching in front of them through the wilderness. He was a, a cloud and then a fire at night. And then when he showed up at Mount Sinai to give them the Ten Commandments, it wasn't a human being that came down and handed the Ten Commandments over to Moses, right? God showed up as a, a storm, right? A, a dark cloud, smoke, lightning, thunder, scary voice. So we see different, you say scary voice. It was scary voice. Go back and read it. The, the people of Israel, when they heard the voice, said to Moses, we don't want him to talk to us ever again. You, can you just tell us what he says? That's what's in there. So, um, so we see that God does, you know, like reveal himself to his people in different ways throughout the Old Testament. So why did Jesus when he showed up to save us from our sins, show up in the form of a human being? That question is answered in Hebrews chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read to you verse, today our text is going to be Hebrews 2 verse 9 
and then verses 14 and 15. We're just going to learn these three verses today. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, and then later on, that same topic that comes up in verse 9 comes up again in verses 14 and 15. And so that's, that's, what I'm going, to, that's going to be our text for this morning. I've preached through the book of Hebrews before, and Hebrews chapter 2 has a lot in it. Like there are a lot of topics, there's a lot of doctrine, there's a lot of stuff. You could do a long sermon explaining everything in Hebrews chapter 2. That is not what we're doing this morning. I'm just going to focus on verse 9 and verses 14 and 15, the parts that are about Christmas. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 9. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering and death. And then that idea comes up again in the same chapter in verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Now you might hear that and go, whoa, Mario, you were right. That does not sound like a Christmassy verse, right? It's not, I mean, it doesn't sound like a Christmassy verse. It is. I don't think I've ever heard a pastor or a church quote that verse during Christmas time, except me. I think I did it five years ago. But other than that, I don't ever hear this at Christmas time. And yet, This verse is certainly about the thing that we celebrate this time of year. Look at verse 9. But we do see Jesus, and look at the phrase, made lower than the angels for a short time. When did that happen? When was Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time? Yeah, the incarnation, right? That's the word we use to mean when God took on flesh, when Jesus became a human, the thing that we celebrate at Christmas, this is it. We do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. This is, the writer of Hebrews is, is maybe saying more than this, but he's at least saying Jesus was a human being. Um, we know that because that's what this phrase means. Made lower than the angels for a short time. That phrase was not coined by the writer of Hebrews. Okay? That was already a thing before he wrote Hebrews. That phrase was actually lyrics to a popular song at the time. It's the, I think it's important for us to remember that in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms was the Israelite songbook. And so the Hebrew people knew the Psalms. In fact, they probably knew the Psalms better than they knew a lot of the other Old Testament because you know things, like you just remember things that you sing better than things, you know, that you don't sing. So they probably knew the Psalms especially well. And that's where this phrase is from. It's from Psalm 8. And the writer of Hebrews quotes it earlier in the chapter. And it's what that little phrase is found in a song that's about this, that it says, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. That's the, the Greek version of the song. Um, in the Hebrew, it's, uh, it might say that you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. But that's the, that's, the, that's the words that he's quoting here. He's referring to a song that is about humanity. Like the, the, the lyrics of the song in the Old Testament are, are words that basically say, God, it's incredible that you care about us. What is man that you are mindful of him? Meaning humanity. Like we must be like ants to you. It is incredible that you care about us and notice us at all, right? What is man that that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. The idea here is humanity is outranked by, like is underneath, right? Outranked by the, the heavenly beings. We're down here. You're up there. You got things and creatures and stuff up there. That's amazing. And we're way down here, lower than the angels, 
And that phrase is then used by the writer of Hebrews to describe Jesus. Why? Because it's a phrase that is, hey, we're humans. We can't believe you care about us. And then Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews uses that to say, hey, we see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. In other words, it's a phrase that means became a human like us, came down here and became a human like us. Now, why? Why did Jesus, was, why was he made lower than the angels for a short time? I mean, can we agree this? This is a Christmas verse, right? This is a, like he, just like we, we are lower than the, that's what the original song was. We are lower than the angels. Jesus came down to our level, lower than the angels. He started out his life, we know this from all the Christmas stories, as a baby, just like you started your life out as a baby. Why? Why did he do that? Well, what's great is this verse tells us why. It says Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time. Now, what's the next two words? So that, so the, the, in other words, the purpose of this verse is to tell us why Jesus became a human. Why was he made lower than the angels for a short time? It, well, he, that was done so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. That's why. To rescue us from our sins, Jesus had to die in our place. To die in our place, Jesus had to die. To die, Jesus would have to be capable of dying. To be capable of dying, Jesus would have to become a human. He would have to be made lower than the angels for a short time. Now, you might say, well, yes, of course, but I mean, that humans aren't the only things that die. Trees die, giraffes die. Why did he have to come as a human being? Well, let's keep going. Verse 14, same chapter. So just a few verses later, I think the same theme that's in verse 9 comes up in verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, this is, this is the verse we just read, now here's just a little bit later on the same exact page. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. So what is this saying? Well, first of all, the, child, the word children here, if you'd read the verses in between, the word children here is talking about the children of God, like God the Father's children, okay? So God's children have what? They have flesh and blood in common. So it's saying God's children are who? Humans, right? Humanity is what's being referred to here, right? I have flesh, you have flesh. I have blood, you have blood, right? We have that in common. God's children, and this is a reference to humanity, the children of God in this particular verse is talking about people who are humans. They have flesh and blood in common. And since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. Now, what is these referring to? It's a pronoun, right? And it's referring to the nouns that came earlier, right? It's a plural pronoun. It's referring to what two nouns? Flesh and blood. So since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in flesh and blood. That is another way of saying became a human being. So, so this verse here, Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, is the equivalent of Jesus shared in flesh and blood, right? So made lower than the angels means the same thing as shared in these, which means the same thing as became a human being, right? All of these are equivalent. So, so verse 14 actually starts out, it's different words, but it starts out the same way verse 9 did, right? We see Jesus, he became a human. Verse 14, yes, Jesus became a human. He shared in these. Now, why did he share in these? Now, what's the next two words in verse? So that, right? Which is the same thing. So this is a very parallel verse. So Jesus was made lower than the angels for a short time, so that. Now in verse 14, the children have flesh and blood in common, and Jesus shared in these, so that. And what is the so that? So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. 
Again, so until we get to the end of verse 14, verse 14 and verse 9 are very similar. It's like the same verse over again with just different words. We've got Jesus, he's made a human being so that he would die for us. You get to verse 14 and we've got Jesus who becomes a human being so that he would die for us. What both of these verses do is the same thing that last week's passage did, which is the the writer describes Christmas and then skips straight to Good Friday. Do you remember that last week? In, in the book of Philippians last week, we talked about the fact that the passage, one of verse said, um, he took on the likeness of men, right? So he, being, uh, he, uh, he's equal to God, right? He's equal to God, but then being made in the likeness of men. And then the very next verse after made in the likeness of men was what? Um, that he was obedient to death, even death on the cross. The person, the, the person who wrote Philippians, Paul, just went straight from, he took on the likeness of men to he died on the cross. Same thing happens in Hebrews, right? Made lower than the angels so that he might taste death for everyone. Shared in flesh and blood so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. So these verses, multiple verses are saying the same thing. He came so that he would die for us. But then verse 14 and following gives us a little extra information that Philippians didn't have and verse 9 didn't have. So so that through his death he might, this is interesting, destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. The devil's not even up in verse 9. devil's not over in Philippians either, but here he is, connected to why Jesus came to this world and died. The one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. It seems to me that this passage portrays the devil as having the power of death in his hand, right? It says he's holding it. The devil has the power of death as a weapon in his hand and he's using it on humanity, on those of us who have flesh and blood in common, right? The devil is using the power of death as a weapon in his hand on humanity, enslaving, enslaving us by the fear of death. So that's how, that's how Hebrews portrays the devil. He has the power of death in his hand. It's like a weapon that he is using to terrorize humanity. And what this verse says is, Jesus' death took that weapon out of his hand. That's what it says. Let me read you this quote from George Guthrie. He is a scholar. He's a college professor. He's a professor of New Testament at Regent College. And one of his books says this. Um, He's writing about Hebrews chapter 2. And he says, The context suggests that the devil was undone and death's bite rendered insipid by Christ's death, specifically his sacrifice for sin. Since death was the prescription for victory in this case, the only way the son could accomplish the needed task was to die. And the only way to die was to become human. This is for our author, the logic of the incarnation. Now, I already explained to you that idea that the only way to die was to become human. But that part where it says the devil was undone and death's bite rendered insipid, that's the reason why I referred to Tim McCarthy, the secret service agent, at the beginning of the sermon. Remember how I said every bullet that went into Tim McCarthy was a bullet that could not harm the president? There is a sense that you could say in that day what Tim McCarthy did by putting his body where he did, that he disarmed the shooter from being able to hurt the president. And that would have been even more true if the shooter had only had one bullet, okay? And I wish he did. I wish the shooter only had one bullet that day. There would have been a lot less mayhem and attempted murder. And it would have fit my illustration so much better if he, would have just shot, if he would have just shot the one bullet. 
So for the sake of this illustration, let's just go and imagine that. We're going to forget about bullet six for now. We're just going to imagine that part. By taking on the bullet that was intended for the president, he effectively would have made the shooter, especially if there was only one bullet, by taking on the bullet that was intended for the president, he made the shooter, he would have made the shooter effectively harmless to the president by taking it on himself. Now look at verse 14 and 15 one more time, second half of 14. Jesus shared in these so that through his death, so he, through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. By taking on the death intended for us, Jesus renders the devil spiritually harmless to us in any sort of eternal way. For those of us who trust in Jesus, like, even if we die, we live. Jesus said that. So why did Jesus come as a human being? One answer to that question is to take a bullet for us to taste death for everyone. Jesus, to destroy the devil's death powers, had to die in our place, and to die in our place, he had to be human like us. And we don't often present the gospel that way here at Good News Church, at least I don't often do that. Presenting the gospel in the sense of like the devil is coming after us and Jesus prevents him from doing so, and he destroys the devil's work with his death. That's not often the way I present the gospel to you. Um, partially because this is an unusual verse. The Bible doesn't always phrase it that way, right? This is an unusual verse, so I'm sort of explaining the gospel to you in an unusual way this morning because I'm making my sermon match the verse, which is what preachers should do, okay? So that's why I'm saying it this way. But I will say the more typical way that we approach this idea with the gospel is actually found two verses later, and so I'll just do that for fun while we're here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17, two verses later, it says, therefore... He, that's Jesus, had to be like his brothers in every way. That's another Christmas reference. That's another incarnation reference. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's more like the normal way we talk about it, that Jesus offered his life to God to make propitiation. That's the word that, that kind of means that he gave his life as an offering to turn away God's wrath, to get forgiveness from God for the people. And so that would be more often the way we say it. But, but both of these are true. Verse 17 is true. Verse 14 and 15 is true. Christ's death was a devil-destroying thing and an offering to God in our place thing. Now, why is that important? I think it's important. I think maybe it's especially important this time of year because Christianity and Christianity this time of year, like Christmas Christianity, sometimes seems to almost exclusively include things like this. Jesus came here to reveal God to us. Jesus came here to, this is the kind of Christianity I feel like we get a lot. Jesus came here to, to show us the way to heaven. Jesus came here to, to model love for us. Jesus came here to instruct us on how to live. Right, that's what Christmas is about. And yes, he did do all of those things. But that list is incomplete. If all we needed was more information about how to behave... He wouldn't have had to do it the Christmas way. He wouldn't have had to come down personally. If we just were lacking information about how to behave better, he could have just shouted that down from heaven. He wouldn't even have had to get off his throne to do that, right? He could have just said, behave, right? 
And we would all have been like, I guess we got to do it. Like he could have been a voice from the sky and he could have done it once every 20 or 30 years. So every generation gets their shot to hear it. And that's what he could have just been. He could just say, be nice to each other, right? You quit sinning, all right? And we'd go, okay. Like if that's all we needed was just to be told. He wouldn't have had to come down for that. The problem is we couldn't quit sinning on our own. We needed more than that. And, and we've already sinned. Even if we were there the day that he said, be good, you know, like what do I do with all of the sins I've done up to that point? How do I make up for that? We needed more than information. We needed even more than just a good role model. So this is what I wrote in my notes. Is Christmas the time that the Son of God came down and became a baby and then grew up to give us God's instructions? Yes, but not only that. With the help of the author of Hebrews, we can see Christmas was the time that the Son of God came down and became a baby and grew up to take a bullet for us. And that should color the way that we think about him and the way that we worship him. So I'm going to close this in prayer and we're going to do that. Dear God, we worship you. Jesus in particular, we acknowledge that you came down and didn't just say, here's some stuff you got to do to get to me and then go back to heaven. <laughs> I mean, there's that famous verse where you said, I am the way rather than I'll show you the way. And so we thank you for taking a bullet for us. We thank you for tasting death for us. We thank you that through your death, you destroyed the weapon in the devil's hand to hold us in this like sort of terrorized, enslaved state of the fear of death. Thank you for conquering our death with your death. Thank you for taking that which was intended for us. We praise you for that. Amen.